Hello, and welcome to the brand new NEU podcast. We'll be taking a look at the issues our members are talking about and getting to the heart of the latest debates in education. I'm Andy Case, and I work in the Education Policy and Research team at the National Education Union. And I'm Mari Burton. I work in the Union's Equality, Social Justice and International Department. In this episode, we'll be discussing child poverty, something that's been prominent across the media over the last few months, but is sadly a reality for thousands of school children that predates COVID-19. Later in this episode, we'll be hearing from members about their experiences with poverty in the classroom and how the pandemic has impacted their teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so get in touch. You can follow us on Twitter at the NEU podcast or email us at podcast at neu.org.uk. And make sure you subscribe. We'll be releasing new episodes every other month. Right, so today we're going to take a look at the issue of child poverty and how it's affecting the education landscape. Now, a little peek behind the curtain here, we were planning on making an episode about child poverty um, early on in this year um, as our first episode of the NEU podcast, but then obviously the pandemic hit. And if anything, unfortunately, it's only become even more relevant that this is now our, our starting topic for the podcast. It's something that a lot of members have been touched about, obviously, before the, the pandemic, during the pandemic, and, and that we've heard a lot about on the news. Um, it's probably not going to go away. Uh, but if there is anything else you, you've got that you can add or something you want to say or just let us know what, what you feel about this issue or what you've been experiencing in your classrooms, please do get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter at the NEU podcast or you can email us on podcast at neu.org.uk. We're really, really interested in what you've got to say about this. We want this podcast to have members involved too. Now, Mari, as well as being the host, the co-host of this podcast with me, very fortunately and conveniently, you are the child poverty uh, policy specialist here at the NEU. Yes, indeed. So um, could you tell us a bit about the um, issues surrounding child poverty, really, um, not just COVID-19, but, but everything that before that as well? What, why is this a problem? Why is it an issue for education staff and how does it affect education? Well, I think this has been this has been such a big issue for our members uh, for such a long time, and I think, as you say, it, it's a bit bizarre that we started this pandemic. You and I, well, just before this pandemic kicked off, we were starting to do this podcast on child poverty, and one of the things we were speculating about what might happen in the future. And unfortunately, with the fallout of the COVID nineteen pandemic, there's a lot of things that are happening. Uh, in our country at the moment that are really exacerbating some of the problems that have been a long-standing issues for people uh, before. So child poverty is something that very much is present in our classrooms at this point. We've had a lot of members getting in touch about how it limits children's life chances, about how it really impacts on their access to education. And again, I think the that the COVID-19 pandemic has really shone a lot of light onto some issues that have already been really uh, endemic in, in education for a long time. So, for instance, we've seen a lot in the news recently about Marcus Rashford's excellent campaign about extending free school meal provision. But for years beforehand, our members have been getting in touch to say that they'll be getting children come back into the classroom who are visibly skinnier after the summer holidays because they don't get their free school meals. And maybe mum and dad or parents and carers can't make ends meet at home and so they're missing out on a lot of different uh, nutrients and food over the holidays. We have stories about children coming in in really worn out school uniform. We've got a story uh, where a teacher got in touch to say that a little boy that they were teaching had their trousers on backwards because they were so worn through at the knees they had holes but they were embarrassed about it. So there's a whole range of things that really are kind of very visible areas where poverty affects children and their experiences in the classroom but it, there's a lot of things I think there's a lot more 
uh, invisible poverty as well that people don't necessarily realise. And again, this pandemic has shone a light on. So, for instance, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the digital divide. The government has acknowledged the fact that there is a huge uh, gap between children and young people who have laptops, who have access to uh, reliable internet, who have things like tablets at home, being able to access education quite conveniently, quite easily. So again, at the height of lockdown, when schools uh, were only open to key worker children and uh, to vulnerable children, schools did an amazing job of trying to work their classrooms online. But a huge number of schools, especially in disadvantaged areas, had this problem where actually there were children who couldn't access that because perhaps they only had one device in the whole family or maybe there were three kids at home and the broadband wasn't up to it. Maybe they didn't have a device at all. The government's acknowledged that this is a big problem and rolled out a huge number of laptops uh, over the last few months, but they've still missed a hugely significant number of children so over the summer they rolled out something like 220,000 laptops but 500,000 children were still going without and they're just the ones that we know about how then can these children who haven't got that access to online learning possibly hope to be able to access the same quality of learning that other children have now this again is something that's really been highlighted by what's going on now, but this was the same issue that happened last year. So again, children last year before the pandemic, if they don't have access to things like online learning in such a convenient way, if they don't have access to things like devices, laptops, tablets, reliable internet, again, they're always gonna be at a disadvantage to children who do. And this is where poverty is a huge, it creates such inequality in the classroom. And it's something that although schools do their best to try and fight against and to try and really uh, fill that gap. Ultimately, schools can't actually fix poverty. It's got to be down to systemic change. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you, you sort of raise some interesting things out there, Mari, and it's stuff that, um, you know, even, you know, we, we hear about obviously in, in um, education policy quite a bit as well with, um, uh, it's not just a binary issue is it's not like you're it, you're you're in poverty or you're not in poverty it's much mm. more of a sliding scale and even those that do have a device in their household you know if there's two or three um children or young people going going to school or college in that household then uh, but only but only the sort of the one device how do you you know you know not all not all of them are going to be able to sort of access what they need to access and um that you know the way with the way that universal credit works and, and various other measures of of, of of need if you like you know there's always going to be people kind of in and around the fringes that aren't kind of accounted for so yeah it's it's a really complex issue and it, uh, it's obviously like you say so entrenched in, in in unfortunately society and like education at the moment um is there anything in particular that um COVID-19 has um you know changed increased or decreased some specific sort of impacts for students that that, that the pandemic's brought along well, I think really it's just it's it's hugely exacerbated the need and the number of children, the number of families in this. So we know before the pandemic, so at the start of the year, there were 4.2 million children and young people who were trapped in poverty. So that's 30% of all the children in the UK. So if you've got a class of 30 kids, nine of them are growing up in poverty. And that's before furlough, mass unemployment, uh, the issues with getting free school meals out to children, the issues of accessing learning, that's all before these things hit. And we're starting now to see hopefully a bit of light at the end of the tunnel uh, with the news, the really, really good news of vaccines and potentially a bit more stability in the future. But we know there's going to be a massive economic fallout from COVID. We know there's a huge number more families who've been pushed into universal credit. Uh, and we know there's a huge number of families who are already on universal credit who've been pushed even further to the brink. And 
that's I think where poverty is going to bite hardest because those people who were uh, feeling the pressure anyway have now been pushed even further underneath it and I think when we talk a bit about as I say invisible poverty it's this idea that actually although almost a third of children before this pandemic started were living in poverty I think if you ask most people they'd say well not on my street it's definitely not here it's not it's definitely not in my school we know from the numbers that it, it very much is something that's present across the UK yes there's there's you know worse uh, regions there's certain areas where it hits more but it is something that is a significant problem in the majority of schools and in schools where they are in particularly deprived areas they are struggling to provide uh, a really high quality education in a situation where the children are coming in with huge barriers against their learning and I think there's this kind of very false rhetoric that has been pushed on from governments in the past which says well if you just work really really hard you can get an education you can get yourself out of poverty and everything will be fine and we know that actually if you're a child and you're coming to school and you're hungry how can you possibly concentrate well enough in maths to do as well as the child sitting next to you who's not hungry how you know I mean personally if I miss breakfast I'm completely useless at work and I am a 30 year old adult but if you're eight nine ten years old and you come into school to do double biology or history or maths or PE and you've had to skip breakfast because it's not on the table at home or you know you're not going to eat all day then that is that has a huge impact about how you enjoy school and how you can actually engage in that learning and to think no amount of this kind of rhetoric of just work hard and you'll be fine um, fixes that so it's got to be about actually making sure that we do okay, to use the government's phrase level everyone up people are starting school very much um, facing challenges that they've got to overcome before they can even get to the same kind of equity of learning and so that's something that we've really got to fight against yeah there's a there's a lot of even even if the data was perfect and we could find a a great way to work out where all the difficulties are and what the need is there's so many things which it would never pick up like you're saying there about the 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 student with their trousers on back to front mm. because of they were embarrassed about showing that they had holes in their trousers and they wouldn't be able to afford another pair and yeah like you say the hunger no no measure can quantify how hungry a student is and how much of an impact or not that is having for mm. different students on their you know when how long it is since they last had a a, me a decent meal or something you know and and, and the focus and and then like you, like you said before not, not just the focus levels but then the kind of almost sort of shame and the social emotional kind of um, impacts that has as well about what your self-worth and what that makes you feel and yeah how you feel about your education your learning as well yeah I mean I think it's really good as well to talk about the stigma that surrounds poverty as well because that again has a real you know if, if you want to come to school and you want to feel included you want to feel like you belong and children do want to feel like that if you've got this this feeling of shame and stigma and you're embarrassed about asking you know we, we've had you know asking for support we've had members get in touch to say they've caught children and young people stealing food out of bins or stealing food out of other children's lunch boxes uh, and, you know, and having that as your experience of school and just trying to get through the day with this kind of cloud hanging over you and then also trying to have the same kind of equal access to learning that's really a real challenge I mean certainly when I've taught in uh, in different schools myself when there's been there's been a bit of a divide between pupils between those who aren't worrying about where they're getting the next meal from aren't coming from very cold homes have got the right kind of uniform compared to those who are and you think actually I was, I was a history teacher and you're thinking well okay I've been I've been given the the duty to try and get this child the best grade they can possibly get but how on earth is this child ever going to get their B in history when they've got so many other things that they really are legitimately worried about and as a That's school we can know about this but what what 
you know, apart from the kind of the, there's a lot of support schools can give, but when we've got these kind of societal pressures, I think that's where certainly members really feel the cost of that and think about how can they, how can they improve that child's chances? Well, this is definitely somewhere where, um, you know, our members and education staff more generally can, can kind of add something to the to the debate here and with, without a shadow of a doubt, because they're the, the, the seeing these types of things and, and having the relationships with the students where they might open up more about things than they would do kind of generally is, is invaluable to try and tackle mm. some of these problems. You need to know you need to know how they're feeling and what, what all the issues are to be able to be able to do that. And I think uh, sometimes. Uh, the voice of the students themselves can can kind of be overlooked in all this kind of when, in terms of who are the decision makers. I think they're they're often like you say they're they're savvy to what's going on around them and what the what what's kind of holding them back and they're they're um they're thinking about you. You told me once a, a story I think about um, I'll get you to tell it because you're better than me. But um, about the the student with the donuts buying using the money to buy the donuts rather oh, than school yeah. dinners. And I think that just proves. So I'll let you tell the story. But it, I think what, what you're about to say it just proves the point that they're um they understand what you know that they, they they're conscious that there's others around them in their family and their community that need the food and need the the help. And so you know they they need they're trying to find solutions to help get others around them food not just themselves i think that's so right and, and yeah thank you for reminding me of that andy so that was a that was a boy we, we used to teach in a in a school i used to work in who had a free school meal allowance and the way it worked was you didn't get like you know you kind of some schools give a specific dinner but we had kind of a, a certain amount of money um that the child could access and they didn't ever buy a hot dinner for themselves they would go off and buy like as many donuts or biscuits as they could because they had siblings at home they knew wouldn't eat and they were worried actually that they were worried about going home and having parents who were hungry siblings who were hungry so you know there's that support there and it's and it's good that we've got this support but actually as you say sometimes the actual lived experience that child can be overlooked because they have got more worries than passing maths or history or English their worries are actually what if I go home and mum is feeling really sick because she's not eating again today and again if you're a child and you're trying we're trying to talk about equitable access to education and everyone being given a level, a level playing field there are so many barriers that particular child had to overcome before he even walked into the classroom that I think that's really what's overlooked at the moment with government policy at the moment there's this idea of we've given that we've given this we've got universal credit we've sorted this out there's no thinking behind actually what that experience is and how that might cause a real barrier for a child to come and get the education that they really deserve so I think we've we've established here at least uh, that uh, it's um it's complex there's there's a lot going on and it, it's obviously a very uh, complicated and, and deep rooted, rooted issue so that the, that means the answers and the solutions i imagine aren't probably straightforward either but um at, at least at a policy level it sounds like there are there are choices that can be made and obviously there's other nations other other places in the world who maybe don't even have the resources we have that seem to be kind of dealing with these things differently and, and perhaps obviously arguably better so what 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 would be better what are the alternatives what 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 would we like to see happen to try and do something about this I mean, I think there is a simple solution, really, with um, with with all the issues that this is throwing up. And I think it's even more paramount that we get to it now. We're seeing this impact of coronavirus. And that is that we need a long term, strategically thought out uh, system to resolve poverty. This is something that a lot of people in the charity sector have been calling for for a long time. Um, this is something that actually way back when, when we had new labor in, regardless of whatever you think about new labor and Tony Blair, this is uh, something that, that was on the government agenda and they were trying to eradicate child poverty by this year, by 2020. They gave themselves uh, 20 years 
to get rid of child poverty and there were a lot of policy changes that actually for a lot of uh, for a significant amount of time did push that figure down did actually lift a lot of children out of child poverty um, up until about 2010 when policy changed and poverty started to skyrocket again but the NEU has got a campaign that's trying to fight against child poverty and we want to try and eradicate it from our schools we want to make sure that children all get the same equitable access to education and that is our no child left behind campaign so people listening at home if you are anywhere near any kind of device and I presume you are because you're listening to us uh, have a look on the NEU website you can either type in no child left behind or it's on one of the tabs at the top under child poverty and we've come up with five pressing issues that we think government needs to act on to give children trapped in poverty the access to education they need and that's based on member feedback that's based on all the latest research that we're getting from places like child poverty action group uh, the end child poverty coalition um, that we think will really really impact and improve children's access to education so of these five demands firstly we want to see an expansion to the free school meal scheme to include every child from a household in receipt of universal credit or universal or equivalent benefits that is going to be something that will help capture a lot of children who might not quite be eligible for free school meals but who could really really do with that extra support i mean how can any child possibly be expected to learn if they come to school hungry uh, and at the moment we've got a petition that is uh, doing the rounds of that we've not had it up for very long but we've already got thousands of educators who signed it asking for that expansion of free school meals to children in receipt of universal credit the second demand is to eradicate holiday hunger by extending free school meal provision uh, over the school holidays. Now, this is very much in line with Marcus Rashford. So we've all got to be Man United fans now, I'm afraid, Andy. We've got to change our allegiance here with all the fantastic work he's done. Um, and he's made the government do some significant U-turns on this. So again, we can see that actually if the political will is there, then actually you can feed children who aren't going to eat over the holidays. And there isn't really an excuse not to do that. We also want to see a reform to all school uniform policies to ensure that uniform options are always affordable for families in the local communities. We've heard lots of different issues come up uh, from our grassroots members saying things like actually there are certain families who they're working with who just can't afford this particular type of blazer because it's a specialist blazer and, and all these kind of elements that we think well actually if we make sure that policy use are affordable that just really relieves the pressure off a lot of families. We want to make sure that uh, free household internet access is given to children and young people in households on universal credit. So those families who've got very, very low income and who basically don't have that access to the internet that we know in the modern age is, is vital in terms of basically accessing almost everything, especially in this time of lockdown and pandemic. But if you're trying to do things like uh, extracurricular activities at home or homework or wanting to find out a bit more about what you're doing in school, internet's really vital. And we shouldn't be having stories about children going and sitting in the back of McDonald's on their phones trying to do their homework using the free Wi-Fi. And our final demand is that we want to see a new dedicated technology budget for all schools to be given to combat the digital divide. So I mentioned earlier about how uh, government has rolled out a number of laptops over the summer and again we don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth it's great that there has been this problem acknowledged and addressed but there's been a significant number of people who've missed out from that and a significant number of schools who if they'd been given the budget could have used it to really support their students who they know best in a much better way and also as well in a safe way because there are so many more children online nowadays in, in, in a much more uh, concentrated way, especially again with this lockdown. We want to make sure that children still stay safe online as well. And schools, if they were given this budget, they'd be in the best possible position to make sure that that happens. So those are five 
pressing issues that are part of our No Child Left Behind campaign. And if members want to find out more, as I say, have a look on our web page about this. Uh, sign our petition, tell your friends about it. There is definitely a way to change poverty. It's not an inevitability. It doesn't have to be like this. Well, that, that, that does sound clear to me, Mari, to be fair, that they're sort of five, five straight, straightforward demands there. And yeah, I think like you say, it's, it, it's not to say, obviously, there have been things done um, over the course of this government and previous ones, but clearly not enough. And anyone who works, you know, not just in education, but in, in many sort of public facing sectors who will, will be able to confirm that that is the case, that it is just nowhere near sufficient. And, and those demands sort of lay out what more could be done. So, so I think that that's really helpful. But look, you don't have to just take it from from Mari and I, um, as much as we, we did used to be in the classroom one day, um, you know, there, there are there are those who still are who we will be hearing from after this short break. National Education Union membership is available to everyone working in education. We are the union for your whole career, and we represent the majority of teachers and education professionals in the UK. Whether you're a trainee, newly qualified or experienced teacher, lecturer, support staff or leader, you can join the National Education Union. Join now by visiting www.neu.org.uk forward slash join. The National Education Union. Together, we'll shape the future of education. Welcome back to the NEU podcast. Today, we've been discussing child poverty and its impact in the classroom. We know that COVID has amplified the pressure so many families have been facing for a long time. Poverty is certainly not something that's new to our schools, but no one can deny the pandemic is pushing thousands more towards the brink. We've been speaking to NEU members about their experiences of the impacts of poverty in the classroom. We'll hear from three now. Miriam, Lucy and Chris. My name is Miriam and I'm one of the reps for the union. Um, I do a few different roles so it might be useful to kind of share a couple of those. Um, I used to work in a school in student services so this was all to do with kind of solving problems for students, dealing with parents um, and also medical and first aid obviously so that was really interesting especially at the start of the lockdown and all that sort of thing. Um, I also do some supply teaching so this is in primary and secondary. Um, and I also do online tuition. So I have several different classrooms to kind of draw experiences from. So I'm really interested in seeing and sort of how poverty has an impact on these experiences um, and how children learn. I think poverty has a massive impact in the classroom, if I'm honest. I think it does for the adults and the children alike. You know, you've got different aspects from, you know, how do you physically get to school? How do you get there on time? Do you have money for the bus, you know, petrol, cars? And then you've got, are your parents able to take you? You know, there, there's a big kind of logistical aspect of physically getting to school that I think we don't always acknowledge. So definitely poverty starts, you know, from the home or from before you even get to school. Um, and then once you're in school, I find it's things like, you know, do, do you have the correct uniform? Are you getting detentions because you don't have the right shoes on, for example? And again, I'm saying this from experience. And I was someone that never gave detentions for these things, even though I was supposed to, just because I know how hard it is. Um, but obviously not everybody is able to do that. So it's definitely stayed with me even after I've left the school. Um, and then you've got things like, can you afford to pay for trips? Have you got the same things as your classmates have got in terms of, I don't know, resources and experiences and things that you're doing outside? And this even links to your own sense of self-worth and confidence, which is that bit more kind of deep, I guess. I'm not quite sure how else to say it. 
but it can impact every single aspect. And we haven't even got to being in the classroom, you know, so it's so huge. It's such a massive part of poverty is such a massive part of um, what affects your educational experiences. Yes. I think poverty is something that is probably more of a hot topic now in the pandemic than it has been before and I feel like sometimes it's a bit of a box ticking exercise you know we've got all these things like pupil premium and you know universal credit and things that we just say yes we're dealing with it we're sorting it but what if that isn't enough and I think that's the point we need to explore a little bit more so yes we try to deal with poverty maybe better than some other countries um, but that doesn't mean it's enough or what is actually needed on the ground for me it always comes down to money this is what we're always talking about and it's the one thing that the government doesn't want to provide at least in my opinion and i'm not saying that money is the solution to everything but it makes life more comfortable it definitely removes some of the worries if you're not concerned about you know how warm your house is or whether you have food on the table then you're able to focus on the other things that are important like work and studies it's always really sad when we say you either have heating or food choose one it shouldn't be like that not in britain not in 2020. i think we just need to expand all of the services that we have and now i'm going to get a bit more political in terms of thinking about society as a whole and i think it goes to um, again, back to money, but in terms of all the service cuts that we've experienced and been facing, if you don't have libraries, if you don't have um, social services, healthcare, housing services for people to turn to before it's too late, then you're going to have to reap the consequences of that. And that, I think, is what we're seeing now. So if you've got safe places for young people to go to and people to turn to, let's say their, their parents are at work or they're not able to give them the care that they need, young people need to have people to turn to. And that, again, links back to teachers and them not feeling overworked and stressed and, you know, under pressure and not being paid enough. So we're talking about poverty for students and children, but we're also talking about poverty for adults that are in full time work. This is unacceptable to me. I'm Lucy and I'm a primary school teacher in Oxfordshire and I'm also Assistant Secretary for Oxfordshire NEU. As a primary school teacher and previously in the last lockdown I was teaching reception, I think that we need to be highlighting the issues that face these younger children, more linked to their home environment. So my last school, what we realised was some of the children didn't have paper and pencils to do colouring and art activities and all those things that we kind of take for granted in early years because they're just there and the children can access them whenever they want to. If they haven't got those resources at home they're missing out on an awful lot of experiences to develop their creativity, to develop their problem solving skills and, and that's sort of one of the things that has sort of come to my mind when I'm thinking about the children and what they're going to be missing out on. It's about what kind of resources that they have at home. So I mean, books are, and reading is one of the biggest predictors of, of children's progress. And if children haven't got access to, either haven't got access to stories or haven't got access to adults who understand the importance of reading with children, or maybe aren't confident enough to read with children at home, 
then I think that's going to be a, a really big divide in terms of the children, because we know that children who listen to stories regularly at home and who have chance to read at home, I'm thinking of, you know, reception children and their um, early reading skills and, and practicing their phonics and things like that. If, if they haven't got those things at home, then we know that that impacts hugely on things like their vocabulary um, and their sort of understanding of stories and, and how books are structured, which when they get to key stage one, key stage two, they really struggle to access the curriculum because they haven't had those experiences when they're younger. So um, I think that's one of the bigger things that will, will impact them. And, and I think obviously, I mean, we all, we've talked a lot um, in the media and in, in the union about the, you know, access to enough food, you know, we, we can't have children coming into school who are hungry because they won't be able to concentrate. Um, and things like the, the, you know, just the basic things like having the right um, uniform or, or for early years, having the right sort of footwear um, to be able to be outside. I mean, I know I, I've had experiences where uh, families can't afford to provide a, a pair of wellies, which seems like such a simple thing but in you know when children are going outside and doing outdoor learning if they haven't got their wellies on they can't be jumping in a puddle and you know they're missing out on those you know valuable childhood experiences that we all take for granted because they can't afford a pair of wellies or um i've also had children before whose parents are very strict about them getting their clothes dirty because maybe they, they can't afford to have a spare jumper at school. Um, you know, because most children or a lot of families will have several jumpers so that if one gets messy, it can go in the wash and then they've got a nice clean one to wear the next day. And if children are panicked about getting their jumper dirty because that's the only one they've got, then they're, then they're not gonna participate fully in that early years experience because they're worried about they get their jumper getting dirty and getting into trouble at home and and parents kind of putting that pressure onto the children but it's not the parents fault it's because they can't afford to have spare clothes they can't afford to have those extras um, at home so i think it's really important for members even if you live in what might be considered an affluent area that you're aware of these kind of issues because some parents might try and hide the fact that that they're struggling financially and so I think what, what you need to be able to do is look for those issues that might be under the surface and, and sort of be aware that these things can happen to anyone, particularly with the pandemic. Hello, I'm Chris. I'm an assistant head teacher at a large secondary school, uh, state secondary school in southwest England. Um, I've been teaching for 18 years. I'm national executive officer for District 8, which covers a wide area from Herefordshire, Gloucestershire, Warwickshire, all the way down to the south of Wiltshire. I guess for me, wearing my Key Stage 4, Key Stage 3 hat, I'm very aware of how poverty impacts on children's ability to do as well as they can. And whenever I speak to Year 11 going into their exam season or into their mocks, I always say to them, have no regrets. Don't open that envelope in the summertime thinking to myself, I wish I could have, or if only I had spent a bit more time revising, because they've got one chance at actually sitting those exams, and those exams need to reflect everything they've worked for. And what I really feel at the moment about this pandemic in particular is 
the lack of fairness, the lack of equality, the lack of opportunity, the lack of equity that prevents those students, not just at my school, at every single school up and down the country, walking into that exam hall, feeling they can do their best. Because the experience they've had since March has been so varied. And I feel dependent on their family circumstances and where they live in the country and the type of school they attend. Those, those things they've got no control over that will have a direct impact on their exam performance. When we look particularly at the pandemic and the impact on education, different children have had the different opportunities to succeed since March based on what uh, their home life is like, whether they've got an actual office to work in or a desk to work at, whether they've got the right ICT equipment, access to broadband, whether their school has been able to open fully, um, whether there's been year groups sent home, etc. I understand that there's some children in some of the northern uh, towns and cities where they only had a handful of days in um, school last half term and they're in year 11, they're sitting the same exams as students in other schools in other parts of the country who've been in school for every single day since September. My own local authority, the start of November, actually 9th of November, we had 1,101 children self-isolating across the whole local authority. We, by the 17th of November, that had shot up to 2,895. So within the period of effectively two weeks, the number of children self-isolating has, has trebled. And nationally, we've had just under a million people who didn't attend school last week for no fault of their own for reasons related to coronavirus. And you can't have a situation where the exams are now fair if you've not had access to your teacher in the classroom. And while we can try and replicate teaching and learning online, it's not the same. You can't judge the progress the children are making, is it, as well? You can't assess them. You can't engage with them in the same way. And actually, at the end of this, this academic year, they're all going to have to sit in the same exams, despite having very different um, experiences. And that, to me, is wrong. I think the other thing is, when we talk about sitting exams, we also have to have some kind of common currency across the different nations. And you can have a year 11 student currently in London, Cardiff and Edinburgh, all of whom are going to have a different experience this year. And some of, the, some of them are going to have to sit an exam. Some are going to be given an exam grade based on a teacher assessment. Some are going to be given an exam grade on some form of exam assessment to be announced. And actually, if it's a common currency that allows those students to access higher education in universities and colleges later on and the world of work and apprenticeships, it's got to mean something across the four nations that, that's the same. And going back to what I said at the start, when I say to my year 11s, go into that exam and do the best you possibly can and have no regrets. You know, I would like, the question really is, is for the government ministers is, how can they do this to children, to 16 year olds, 15 year olds up and down the country who will be feeling so anxious and so stressed by what's going on. And they know in the heart of hearts, they can't give it their best. They can't do everything they possibly can because there's things that's been taken away from them, opportunities and fairness. And actually, exams should be fair. And at the moment, until we do something differently, this isn't going to be fair for 2021. Thank you so much to Miriam, Chris and Lucy, who we spoke to just then. It's really important that we hear what's going on at the chalk face.
Yeah, absolutely. And they, um, <clears throat> they all raise some really interesting points um, and, and hopefully give a little bit more sort of context and information about some of the issues that you and I, Mari, were, were talking about before, before the break there. I mean, just to touch on, on, on Chris um, at the end there, some of the points he was making, obviously, um, he, there, was a, there was a focus there, particularly on, on exams for, for 2021. But I think a lot of those issues that, um, that he was raising are, have been exaggerated because of the pandemic and the problems caused by coronavirus, but are ones that you would see in, in any normal year. And it, it, um, you know, the, the, the way we, we assess young people is, is impacted by um, things that they can't control, such as having you know, fewer resources to um, be able to revise at home, not necessarily having space and a, a space to be able to dedicate to revision, um, you know, not being able to pay for tutors, which some other students can. So the, these are all things when, when the government sort of says that exams are the best and fairest way to, to judge what students can do. Well, unfortunately, exams are affected by, by those things. So I think we'd really question that. And when it, linking this to the issue of child poverty it is more likely to be those students um, who are disadvantaged, who, um, you know, are, are, are going to not have the resources to be able to prepare for an exam in the same way as their peers across the country. And I suppose one other way it links to the disadvantage and the, and the sort of child poverty issue, not just this year, but even in a normal year, is it, it um, well, but I suppose particularly for this year, is that because there's been differential access to learning because of students self-isolating, um, and, and that is likely to cause unfairness, it, it is, um, if, obviously it wouldn't be ideal if that unfairness was spread equally across regions and across the country, but at least it might kind of um, mean that child poverty isn't compounding things, but unfortunately it will do because it is those areas that are more disadvantaged that have been hit harder by, by coronavirus and by the impacts of coronavirus. And so therefore it's another kind of double whammy adding on top of the, of students in disadvantaged areas that they're more likely to be impacted by this differential access to learning um, and therefore more likely to experience potential unfairness. Yeah, I, th I think you've summed that up really well, actually. I think everything we've heard from members, they're saying all of this stuff that we're dealing with, all the issues, all the impacts that poverty has on children's access to education, none of it's new. We've seen this before, but with COVID-19 and the, and the fallout from this pandemic we've all been going through this year, it's just really um, exacerbated a lot of the issues that, that are going on already in schools and in going on in terms of uh, equal access to education. Um, so again, thank you so much, Miriam, Lucy and Chris, uh, for speaking to us and for making the time in, in what I know are very, very busy teacher schedules at the moment. Uh, and we would love to hear from as many members as possible. Uh, so if you're listening now, you can share your experiences with us on Twitter. If we've said anything that you think uh, you want to contribute to, we would love to hear from you. You can share your experiences at the NEU podcast on Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at neu.org.uk. Um, as a matter of fact, there are a whole raft of ways you can get involved in the National Education Union. Um, as Mari and I touched on earlier, the NU has just launched a petition calling on government to expand free school meal eligibility to include all children from families in receipt of universal credit. We've posted a link to the petition on the, um, at the NU podcast Twitter page, or you can find it on the child poverty page of the NU website. Please do check it out and add your name. We're also fast approaching the deadline for nominations for the NEU Rep and Officer of the Year Awards. These awards celebrate the contribution of NEU activists to building a stronger union and what a year it has been. If you want to nominate a rep or officer you think has made a difference to your workplace or to your local area, then go to the NEU website and search Rep and Officer Award. Nominations close on the 22nd of January, so you haven't got long. 
And finally, for now, one further way that you can um, get involved is as a part of our celebration of Disabled History Month, uh, for which the NEU has launched something called The Full Story, which is a brilliant resource to help educators promote disability inclusion and good outcomes for children and young people through reading about the world around us. You can find out more and explore the whole resource by searching The Full Story on the NEU website. So we're nearly at the end of our first ever NEU podcast. Uh, we want to end things by taking the opportunity to celebrate the weird and the wonderful things that happen to us all in teaching. So if you've got any stories you'd like to share, anything that a pupil said to you that made you laugh or a strange situation you found yourself in at school, we would love to hear from you. This week, we're going to start quite close to home with a flashback to your time in teaching, Andy. So you started telling me a bit about this earlier. Please do share. Yes, well, okay, so we hope to do one of these uh, type of stories on on each podcast. So as Mari says there, um, d do get in touch um, if you've got a story that you would like to, to share. And perhaps it won't be one quite so embarrassing as, <clears throat> as the one I'm about to share. But uh, yeah, so... Um, when, when I was, when I was um, still teaching, we were thinking as a staff group about how to, um, you know, raise money or it, get kids in, get students in the school involved in the children in need um, sort of stuff that was going on around the country. And uh, senior management decided it would be a good idea because we had a sort of a house structure to our pastoral sort of side of things at school to kind of ask the students um to come along and watch a staff variety show so obviously that involved some some brave staff um agreeing it's only to... go well i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> well as you're about to find out no it can't um yeah so so we 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 sort of some of us plucked up the courage we said we we, we said we'd do it and um the it was it was sort of pitched as like a competition between houses um and you know the bar was set pretty high as uh, one house group actually made a video which went viral on YouTube and made it onto the local news. So we were off to a difficult start already by be not being in that particular house. Uh, we had a very difficult piece of competition um, there. And um, our sort of head, head of house, the sort of house leader, um, decided that he thought YMCA would be the best route to kind of go down. Um, he thought it was like funny and entertaining, get the kids up dancing. So I can kind of understand that. From, from one point of view, but some of us were a little bit hesitant that that maybe not, you know, something a bit more relevant uh, or modern might have been good. You know, there was another house doing One Direction who were huge at the time. Um, and, uh, but, you know, classic situation where no one brought any solutions, including myself, uh, just problems. So <laughs> because we couldn't think of a better option, we did end up, we en did end up going with that. And I, I think the um, the hesitancy that some people had from the, from the get-go caused people to be a little bit reluctant um weren't necessarily committing to rehearsals and dance move uh practice and things as much as they could do and um you know what's what's that saying if you fail to prepare prepare to fail and we we, we certainly taught the <laughs> students a good lesson there by um you know failing to prepare and then preparing to fail because we, we absolutely did. We went out on stage on the, on the night as it were, or on the lunchtime um, and just completely flopped. It was so embarrassing. Um, they started off with about 10 or 12 of us on stage. We were completely out of time, just making absolute fools of ourselves and not in a good way. People were definitely laughing at us and not with us. Um, it got to the point where people at the, sort of back end of the stage as in members of staff who were involved in this were so embarrassed and cringed out that they started trying to creep off the stage oh and it was 
And it was kind of like this horrible domino effect that once one or two started doing it, then more and more started creeping off the stage um, to the point where there was, like I say, about 10 or 12 to start with. And there was only about two or three of us by the end of which I was one of those. And it was so unbelievably mortifying. Um, and we were just getting booed so heavily by the students that even the head teacher who was kind of playing the Simon Cowell role in this, in this kind of variety show, um, was was sort of waving us off stage to be like this is such a shipwreck such a car crash get off this is this is awful um and we, we just went down in complete and utter uh yeah embarrassment um and to kind of rub salt into the wound i vividly remember because it was children needs it was it was it was a friday lunchtime and i had year nine straight after after that lunchtime and you know as as much as um you, you always have high aspirations for your for your students like algebra on a on a friday afternoon is a difficult one um for to, <laughs> to to encourage the students to make their best progress in any situation but after they've just been whipped up after that um you know variety show and the various good and bad performances um there there was i i just I couldn't escape that lesson without a severe sort of mocking, you know, they, they, they did not hold back. I was, it was so cringy. I was so mortified. And yeah, I got the, the, I guess the, uh, the brunt of it during the, during the lunchtime, but then afterwards as well. So yeah, it, it really was a, a, a memory that has stayed with me clearly. Haunted you. What a way to see the weekend in. Um, gosh i mean like we've all got story we've all been roped into the inevitable x factor children in need type thing of a lunchtime but i think that is something i'm going to just enjoy imagining <laughs> you cringe on um brilliant well uh, again if you if you think you've got anything that can top that as i say lots of uh, all sorts of things happen in schools we would love to hear from you so do please get in touch uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it and share it with all your friends. You can follow us on Twitter at the NEU podcast and make sure you tune in next time. Until then, have a great week. We really hope you enjoy your Christmas break and have a very happy new year. Goodbye.